Hey friends, we are in Matthew 5, and here's the context. Jesus is a huge hit. After 30 years of living mostly in obscurity, he has erupted onto the public scene with lots of fanfare. He has begun speaking in public spaces, proclaiming this thing called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what happens when God has his way in the world. And Jesus is saying, God is going to have his way in the world. And this is where he's taking everything. And this thing called the kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking into the reality of this world here now in ways that has never been done before. And after speaking these things in public spaces, Jesus has begun healing people. And he is now putting the power of this kingdom on display in ways that, frankly, people have never seen before. He is healing people with all different kinds of diseases and sicknesses and disabilities. The blind see, the lame walk. It's a string of miracles. And so word about this Jesus has spread throughout the countryside. Everybody's talking about this guy. And tons of people are now following after him in these large crowds. They want to see what the buzz is about and whether what they're hearing is true. And so Jesus sees these giant crowds and in chapter five, he goes up on the mountain and he is for the first time going to talk about the kingdom of God more clearly, more vividly, more explicitly than he's ever done before. And part of what he's doing is he's going to be making some space. Uh, He knows that many of the people in the crowd uh, don't know what's really going on here. And some of them are just here for uh, the free stuff, for the show. And not everybody is going to be warm to what God is doing in the world. And so he is going to do what Jesus does. And he's going to speak truth in no uncertain terms to this crowd that, that is full of all different kinds of people, all different kinds of backgrounds, religious people, irreligious people, Jewish people, Gentile people, people on top of the social and cultural food chain and people at the bottom of the social and cultural food chain. And so Jesus gets up to make some space and he's going to announce some things that we find to some people is really good news and to others is incredibly challenging news. And he begins his talk, if you will, by listing a number of blessings. And this was not abnormal for teachers in Jesus's day. He was following suit in that way. Um, This wouldn't have been surprising, but what is surprising are the people that he announces as blessed, right? He essentially says, I don't think many of you get it yet. All right, so here you go. I'm going to announce to you the kinds of people to whom the kingdom of God comes and the kinds of people through whom the power of the kingdom of God comes, and it's not through who you think. So he begins, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who live in need and vulnerability who have no illusions of self-sufficiency. Blessed are those who don't know where today's bread will come from. Blessed are those without power, position, or privilege, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beaten down, the walked on, and the walked over. Blessed are those who are bad at being good. Blessed are the spiritual. Blessed are those who lack even an ounce of self-righteousness. But there's all kinds of room for God's righteousness in such a person. And blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the brokenhearted. Blessed are those who refuse to turn a blind eye to the world's suffering. 
Blessed are those who live in such alignment with the heart of the Father that they feel what he feels and they love what he loves and they grieve what he grieves. Blessed are they for they will be comforted. And then he gets up and he says these words. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And Jesus is up to it again coming at us with countercultural, paradoxical truth that flies in the face of everything we think we understand about how the world works. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, really. Uh, I want you to picture in your mind a picture of meek and tell me what you see. When is the last time that you saw a movie featuring a hero who is meek? When's the last time you saw a movie and the pivotal moment was a moment where the hero responded with meekness? Suffice to say, these are not the stories we tend to tell. These are not the movies we tend to make. These are not the heroes we tend to write stories about. Uh, meek people, generally speaking, are not the ones we celebrate and, and clamor towards. I think maybe if we were to rewrite this beatitude in a way that we generally understand, we might write something more like this. Maybe, blessed are the meek, for though he comes in last, he's a really swell guy. Or maybe, blessed are the meek, for they shall receive a certificate of participation. Or maybe, blessed are the meek, for she will be named Miss Congeniality. Uh, meek people aren't the blessed ones, right? Uh, they don't tend to lead large organizations. They don't tend to command large sums of money or great influence. Uh, meek people don't generally have large platforms. They're not featured in the interviews we see on TV. They don't have their name in lights. People aren't generally clamoring for their attention or trying to figure out how to be like them. Uh, we don't see them on our favorite shows. We don't uh, write books about them or tell stories about them. They're just simply not the people we tend to celebrate or want to be like, right? So blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does meek mean, even? Who are the meek? What do they look like? What do they sound like? Right? What is that image that comes to mind? I'll tell you, for me, when I hear meek, uh, I, I think weak. Meek is weak, right? So blessed are the weak. Blessed are the spineless. Blessed are those who are always apologizing for things they don't need to be apologizing for. You know, I think... Uh, in terms of characters in TV shows, like when I think of Meek, I think of Phyllis from The Office. You remember Phyllis? Sweet Phyllis. Phyllis who's always in the background, always off to the side. Phyllis who's so sweet and, and soft-spoken, right? Never sticks up for herself, um, is never at the center of the story. People are just kind of almost forgetting that she's in the room. You know, that's, that's what I think about when I, I think about Meek. Think about if somebody described you as Meek. Right? How does that make you feel? Oh, Dave. Yeah, I know Dave. He's a cool guy. He's laid back. Makes a mean old fashioned. Sort of meek, though. How does that make you feel? Right. Oh, Brooke. Yeah, I know Brooke. How would I describe Brooke? 
Meek comes to mind. Right, or, or how about this? How about you were an employer uh, and a resume comes across your desk and the notes from the interviewer describes the candidate as meek. Would you hire them? Right? If the word on the street about somebody was that they were meek, would you be interested in dating them? Do you want them on your team? Do you tend to trust them? Do you want to follow them? Do you want to invest in their company? Go into battle with them. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think for most of us, the answer to most of those questions is probably no. Right? Most of us have ideas about the word meek. And most of those ideas, I would suggest that they're not positive, are they? I mean, even if we look at the dictionary, the dictionary gives us trouble on this one. One dictionary defines meek in this way. It says, meek is being deficient in courage. <laughs> Blessed are the deficient in courage. So what is Jesus saying here, really? Now, I don't pretend to know everything that Jesus is getting to here, but I do have some, some thoughts to throw your way. Uh, first of all, I think on just a base level, it would be worth, especially at this point, this far into the Beatitudes, to just sit in the fact that clearly God sees people differently than we do. He just does. He sees people that we don't see. And he sees people in ways that we don't tend to see them. All right, that's just on a base level. Secondly, I would say this. Uh, most scholars suggest that what Jesus is doing here, while it might sound strange to us, that what he is doing here is actually a remez, which is a, a teaching strategy that was used by a lot of teachers in Jesus's day. And it would have been very familiar to many in his audience. And a remez is when you use a phrase that already means something to people and it, it takes their mind there. It, 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 it associates what they're saying with that other thing. There's connections that are naturally made. So uh, when I say to you, I have a dream, for most of us, that conjures up certain connections, doesn't it? Uh, immediately for some of us, you see Martin Luther King in your mind. You might see him standing behind that great pulpit in Washington, D.C. Uh, you might begin to think about some of the things he says in that speech, right? Uh, things like, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, right? Some of you immediately think of other famous statements from that piece when he talks maybe about his children and how he dreams of a day when his kids will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? All these different associations uh, are happening, but it takes you to a certain place, a certain time, and a certain person. And here, Jesus is doing something very, very similar. So when Jesus uses the phrase specifically, inheriting the earth, it had this kind of effect for many in the audience. Their minds would have immediately gone to Psalm 37. And in the psalm, Psalms, the Psalms were the songs uh, for anybody with a Jewish background. They were the worship songs they grew up singing. They had many of them memorized. This is how they largely learned uh, about God and kind of reinforced what they know to be true about God and the human experience. So when he says this, their mind would have gone to Psalm 37, where the psalmist talks both about the meek and inheriting the earth together. 
right? So when Jesus says this, many would have been like, oh yeah, he's, he's making commentary on Psalm 37. This is, and this is what we read there. Do not fret because those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they'll soon wither and like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse nine, for those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 11, but the meek, it says specifically, but the meek will inherit the land uh, and goes on and enjoy peace and prosperity. And it says this over and over and over again. In fact, five times it uses this phrase about the, the meek and specifically inheriting the land. And so there's a message in the message for Jesus's audience, specifically to those who would perhaps count themselves as meek or who find themselves in a meek place. And essentially he's saying, look, someday things are not going to be as they are now. That God sees you, he loves you. And when the kingdom comes, the land is yours. And by the way, under all of it, Jesus's message that the kingdom of God, by the way, is at hand. It's breaking in now. I love Brian Zahn's version of this beatitude. This is how he paraphrases it. It says this, this is, Blessed are the gentle and trusting, who are not grasping and clutching, for God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. So there is this message of deep hope for those who right now, the meek who find themselves so often at the bottom of the totem pole, at the bottom of the social, cultural, and financial and power food chain. And that is that God is turning everything upside down, that in the kingdom, everything is flipped precisely the opposite way. And those who are on top now with pride and power will find themselves at the bottom and you, the meek, will find yourselves on top. So be at peace and know that the future is coming and it's even beginning to break in now. All right, so that's one. But there's also something else here, I think, for the rest of us. For those of us who might not describe ourselves as meek um, and maybe have not been born into meek circumstances like so many that Jesus is speaking to in this moment. The Greek word for the word meek is the word praos, and its root means gentle, mild, and tender. But where I really think we get even more kind of nuance for what this word means, is not just in its definition, but in the ways that it's actually used in other parts of the Bible. One of the ways this word gets applied is it's used to describe a soothing medicine. I like that. That's good. A soothing medicine. Uh, another way that meek is used is to describe a gentle breeze. Blessed are those who are a soothing medicine and a gentle breeze. There's a third way. Uh, there's a lot we could say here, but I, I want to keep moving for time's sake. But there's another usage, a third way that I think even broadens this understanding of the word even more. And it is when the word is used to describe the taming of wild animals. So picture this with me. The picture 
is of a wild colt. And that wild colt is, is manic. It's bucking. It's running all over the place. Wherever it wants to go, is, it is driven by impulse. And it is a powerful animal. But in its panic, it is out of control. And there's, there's almost a reckless quality to its movement as it avoids capture. And in it, it's, it's a dangerous animal in this state. Uh, and also in this state, for all its beauty and for all its power, it's not of much use. That is, until the trainer gets a hold of it. And it rains all that power and beauty and energy and strength in. And when that happens, there's a word for it, is when the horse becomes broken. And it's then, and it's only then, that the horse becomes useful. And the word here is Praos. Now I want you to reflect with me on this animal in this moment. Is it spineless? No. Is it without energy? No. Is it without passion or power? Oh no. The difference though is, is it's a power that is now under control and it's under control of the master. And I think for those of us who are not naturally meek, this is what it means for us to embrace Meekness. It's not destroyed. It's not spineless. It's not a pile of mush. It hasn't lost any of its power or energy or passion. It's just that those things are no longer left to the whim of the animal, but rather are moving at the impulse and rhythm of the master. You know, one of the interesting things about meek, you know, we've talked about in the Beatitudes, these are not imperatives and they're not commands. Like God isn't telling us to do a list of things. It's an announcement of good news. But one of the interesting things about meek is that Jesus is described as meek in the scriptures. So there is a Christ-like meekness that is worthy of our being invited to and joining him in. I think it looks a lot like this, right? Compare it to the cult and and now shift and, and focus your attention on Jesus. Jesus was meek. Was he a pushover? <laughs> oh no, Jesus was no pushover. Right? This is the same Jesus who marched to the cross on his own accord, who willingly carried that crown of thorns on his head and that great beam upon his back, who was bloodied and whipped and scourged and tortured for our sake. This is the Jesus that when he sees the mockery that the house of God has become, this den of thieves and capitalists, makes a whip with his own hands, and then physically drove out all the animals and the people out of the temple, turning over money tables as he went. And hear me, no one dared stop him. This is the Jesus who stood before the most powerful people in the world and confronted their assumptions, told them they were wrong, spoke truth, and did not wince. This was a Jesus who loved people fiercely. Oh yes, but he also spoke truth just as fiercely, regardless of how unpopular it may have been at the time or the consequences that would come with it. He did this all the way to the cross, step by step, confrontation by confrontation, resistance by resistance, and nothing could stop him. He confronted worldly empires and kingdom over power with the strength of a wild cult and the authority befitting a king. He advocated for those who had no voice no standing, very few resources, those with sickness, disease, infirmity, disability, and no power. And in fact, man, if you had power and resources and you were using them in a way that did not contribute to human flourishing, but instead only doubled down on oppression and causes suffering of others, 
you did not want to cross Jesus. He was not the one that you wanted to face off with. And yet, if you were meek, and you found yourself on the short end of the stick, you know, underneath the boot of oppression, without power or privilege, his words and his person to you were like a soothing medicine and a gentle breeze. You wanted to be with him. You hung on his every word. You would follow him anywhere. Jesus did this all the way to the cross and then says in effect to those of us kingdom people who would follow in his steps, now it's your turn. I've shown you how it's done. This is the way of my father. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way to experience life to the fullest. It is to give that life to others. It's to lay it down on behalf of those who can't do it for themselves, to take all that power and energy and passion, to take all those plans and tools and resources, be it time, talent, financial, or, or otherwise, and submit it all into the hands of the master. For him to do what he longs to do in you. For him to do what he longs to do through you. And for us to get to do that together, which is the beauty and mystery of the body of Christ the church. I believe this lies at the heart of what it means to be a Jesus people. And it's part of what Jesus is announcing to the world in these powerful words. I love what Frederick Dale Bruner says about the Beatitudes. He says this, he says, first and literally, the Beatitudes are Jesus's surprisingly countercultural God bless yous to people in God awful situations. One author paraphrases it this way, that in the Beatitudes, God is saying to the world through his son, blessed are the quiet ones, the shy ones, the unnoticed, the wallflowers, the average. Blessed are the ones who live with the deep nagging sense that life is passing them by and they aren't getting their slice of the pie, that they aren't in some profound way keeping up with the rest. Blessed are those that can't seem to get it all together. Blessed are those who can't seem to get on top of things, who constantly feel like they fall short because God's world has plenty of room for them. <laughs> I love that. This is not good news. I don't know what it is. And if it's not to proclaim this news with our words and our actions, then I'm not really sure what we're here to do. Because as Dallas Willard writes, he says, listen, Jesus's fundamental message is the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through the reliance on Jesus himself, the person now loose in the world among us. <laughs> I love that. The Beatitudes do this simply by taking those who from the human point of view are regarded as most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even interest, and exhibiting them as enjoying God's touch and abundant provision from the heavens. And then he writes this, the religious system of his day left the multitudes out, but Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom 
anyone could come as well as any other. And they still can. And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel. Right in this beatitude is the proclamation that God sees those that the world doesn't often notice. And more than just see him, he loves them. They have a special place in his heart. He fights for them. He advocates for them. He protects them or sends his people to protect them and advocate for them. And one day when the kingdom comes at his fullness, the earth will be theirs. And those at the bottom will be at the top. And those with the least will be blessed with the most. And as kingdom people, we should therefore go and live in light of this. And so friends, that is my prayer for you and for me today. As you go, may God give you eyes to see those that the world hardly notices. May God give you a heart that is moved to love those that the world doesn't typically care that much about. And as you go, may you walk in grace and may your jaw drop open just a little bit wider in awe of the one who is willing to become meek on our behalf. Grace and peace, friends. <laughs>